Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. The evidence is clear. Masks can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by reducing your chance of infection by more than 80%. Because of the, the outrageous behavior of the last administration, you coming across the border, whether it was legal or illegal, you lost your child. You lost your child. It's gone. You deserve some kind of compensation, no matter what you I've never seen my students so unhappy as a group. So, so I... I, it does make me wonder whether a lot of these policies and new institutions and new bureaucratic offices that we've installed are, are actually helping. You saw all of these pundits being like, these people don't know what critical race theory is. That is not um, a political statement. That is a class statement. Hmm. They are not educated enough to be opposed to critical race theory. How dare they oppose it? Welcome to the Tom Shattuck Show. Am I not one of my chopped liver? What do you mean? You want to be in in the title of the? Well, no, but no, the Tom Shattuck, Tom Shattuck show and is the E Street Band. The, <laughs> it's Tom Shattuck and the Tom rest of Shattuck you. Tom Shattuck show is your solo show on WTIC. Well, what is this show? This, oh, is, this is your burn barrel. Okay. I'm part of the burn barrel. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you how the hierarchy works here. <laughs> so. <clears throat> I've been looking forward to today's show, I must say. Alice, very, very much, very, very much. Uh, we have a few things before, to, to few action items to get to. Okay. One, uh, I have a, a a loyal listener, somebody I may or may not be related to, suggests that, that we try to uh, curb the swearing on the show. So, I try not to swear. I will try to. I, I think last Thursday, I think I let everything go. And uh, during my, as my, my brother calls it, the grievance show. <laughs> <laughs> the Tom Shattuck grievance show. Which, uh, uh, well, so I think I let everything go on that one. I, I don't even know. It, by the time, to be honest, by the time Thursday night rolls around, I'm mostly clinically insane. <laughs> but, well, so I have noticed too, because our kids uh, now listen to our show. Do they? Oh, yeah, James does, doesn't he? Yeah. And um and Anson now got an iPad for his birthday mm-hmm. from I think the same person who you may or may not be related to. Um and he told me because I've told them that they can't say a certain word for a cat unless they have the word cat on the end. They can't just use it by itself. <laughs> and they told me that they were listening to our show and that daddy says that. So. It's a great word. <laughs> Don't take that from me. <laughs> they they told me that you say that. That's, That's what, a on the word. on the show on the burn barrel. They show. accuse me of saying a lot of swears, Allison. Mm-hmm. I don't appreciate mm-hmm. it. These people. Well, that I, one in particular. Those people lie. I've those told kids. them. Mm-hmm. Well, I told them they can say, "Can we say it with cat on the end?" And I said, "With cat on the end, it's allowed 
without the cat on the end, you can't say What are they supposed to call a really wimpy uh, person with no backbone who, when when they hear the uh, Melrose school superintendent, the school board guy say, Oh, superintendent! Next well, time you take away Halloween, I hope that you don't. That guy's I on our he, city council I hope now. That you he communicate better. Good. Well, how do you? What do we call him if we cannot call him a what he is? I don't know. That God gave us a that wimp? word, Alice. Wimp. He's a complete and total. You know what he is. <laughs> Kitty cat. Yes. All right. So, by the way. That last thing you heard is something I just uh, found. This this uh, author named Batya Unger Sargon. Do you know her? I think I follow her on Twitter. Okay. She was on with Brian Stelter today. Mm-hmm. So this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with um, a look at this. They're trying to figure out, and Stelter's trying to figure out what happened with the elections and uh, how it is they could, you know, and, uh, because on CNN there's been no reckoning of the elections, and MSNBC has been no reckoning of the elections. We've heard the same things, that this thing that doesn't exist mm-hmm. called critical race theory was uh, used uh, by white supremacists who wanted to use race again because race, 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 race. Yeah, And we, also they were too moderate. And, yes, too moderate. And so they didn't excite the base. That's what Exactly. Like, and the administration's mm-hmm. big thing is that they want to see us get things done, dang it. So and this is Batya Unger Sargon with Brian Stelter with a bit of an... A, uh, this kind of threads a needle right in the area of where we've been, but it's kind of an interesting thought. How does what you're describing as bad news, uh, how did it shape election results on Tuesday? So my, I felt that uh, Tuesday was a really good uh, advertisement for my book because my book is arguing that a lot of this conversation around wokeness is actually about class. Hmm. We are hiding a class divide in America. We are hiding the just disgusting levels of income inequality in America. We are hiding the total dispossession of the working class of all races by focusing on a very highly specialized academic language around race. Hmm. And I, I think what... Which you said of all races have been mm-hmm. uh, marginalized or ignored right. by focusing on CRT, which she's really saying. happened, you know, Glenn Youngkin's victory was a perfect example of this. The media's response to Youngkin's victory is literally the reason that he won, right? How did oh, they respond? There's a hundred medias, a hundred reactions. You're, you're being pretty overly generalizing, I think. Let me, let me get more specific <laughs> okay. for you, okay? Because right. I have to say, I have to admit, having watched CNN all week, there's been a lot of very, very, very good genuflection on this front. Um, but what happened right after the election was you saw host after host after host on MSNBC saying, oh, this is a victory for white supremacy, right? White supremacy wins again. Racism wins again. When, you know, the lieutenant governor that Youngkin won with will be the first black woman to hold that job. When Glenn Youngkin managed to flip majority black districts, when he managed to get between 40 and 50 percent of Latino voters, are all of those people white supremacists? Of course they're not. So, so, and we, you and I said this before, Mm -hmm. this is nothing new to us yet. And you're right. So all the people who voted for Yunkin voted for Biden, voted for Obama, you, you know, voted for Hillary. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're calling them, oh, it's a rave of voice and whatever. But this last point she makes right here is interesting and i think it's so central to the point the people who are worried about number one the economy right and number two schooling and it seems to me it is such a self-own to tell people who are worried about the economy that that is white supremacy right Mm. you are essentially criminalizing the views of working class americans and you saw the same thing with the conversation around critical race theory right you saw all of these pundits being like these people don't know what critical race theory is. That is not um, a political statement. That is a class statement. Hmm. They are not educated enough to be opposed to critical race theory. How dare they oppose it? I think that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true because it is the plaything of elite academics. Right. The actual critical race theory. These are people who sit around, very upper income people, who sit around and listen to the smart-sounding, though empty, vacuous, shallow, and mostly idiotic words of Ibram Kendi, Mm -hmm. and feel that they're getting a sophisticated treat that only people of their their stock now, we can say, Mm -hmm. can understand, fully decipher, and and have a a good grasp of. Right, and in particular, I mean, you see this with, like, 
stuff that happened in 2016, but was already sort of happening before that, where um, college versus non-college is becoming more and more predictive of voting patterns, right? And it's because there is this cultural divide between like the college elite who feel that the other people are too dumb to disagree, to be allowed to disagree with them. And, you know, regular working class voters of all kinds of races and Trump, you know, who traditionally many of whom have voted Democrat. Right. And Trump was able to I mean, Reagan before that, but like lots of lots of Republicans have sort of occasionally tapped into the so-called white working class. Right. But what's different is what we've seen with Trump and post Trump is that you're also starting to see Republicans make inroads with other working class voters of other races who have traditionally voted very, very strongly Democrat. So that's a big problem for Democrats. Right. And them just saying to the black homeschooling dad who was interviewed, who said he was voting for Youngkin because he didn't like the stuff he was hearing in school and he couldn't articulate why he didn't like the lessons on Lincoln. You know, they, they're just telling him, you're too dumb. Mm. We'll take your kid for you and they don't belong to you. And we know best what's best for your child. You don't know you're stupid. You know, they're mm -hmm. saying that to those voters and those voters are saying, um, excuse me, no. You know, they're saying, this is not the way this conversation is going to happen now. And and Democrats don't like hearing that, you know. So and like then, like you mentioned, I mean, I assume we'll get to all the like the Biden bill stuff, right, that they managed to pass this thing in the middle of the night on Friday night, was it that they passed right, the stupid let's, thing? But yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. But but yeah, this isn't I mean, I think economic anxiety isn't quite the right uh thing too. I mean, it's it's class certainly, mm -hmm. but it's not all about how much money people make. You know? Like cuz you see it even when the economy's doing well and people are doing better and I think, you know, people have pointed out like a lot of Trump voters are small business owners and have done pretty well for themselves. But it is this like college non-college divide, mm -hmm. much more so. So it is like more class thing. And I think that's more of a culture issue than an economic issue per se, you know, because th there was a lot of fun made on the left of the idea that Trump voters were, you know, it's just economic anxiety. No, they're not just worried. Like they don't want to see jobs go overseas, but it's also cultural. You know, I, I think that to say that it's purely an economic phenomenon and if you just make the economy go good, then they'll just go back mm -hmm. to being happy and voting Democrat. I don't think that that's true. You know, I think there's a, a cultural rift that's just been growing and growing and growing. And Trump made it grow more. You know, he was a wedge that divided people and, and made made clear like it, it drew battle lines for people well, in the media and stuff. But yes, and also some of these people... Because of class, and you can throw Joy Reid in there, etc. Some of these people, they don't live a life of, uh, you know, of true diversity, and you know, uh, they're not arming, they're not hanging out in in Watts or or Mattapan, Massachusetts. You know, these are people who have gone, have done very well. These everybody has upgraded, black, white, brown, whatever. You know, and these news organizations, you know, have said long said goodbye to these. If they ever came from these areas to begin with, who knows? But, yeah, I but, mean, but, certainly so, no, maybe so, some but, so of them did. So, 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 mm -hmm. so, so they're looking at people, many working people, who actually do work side by side with black and brown people, whether it's right. a factory or a or a stocking shelves or wherever it is, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's a, as a short order cook or whatever, where they actually do live like this. And, you know, they toil with these guys. And if you're ever working in an, an entry level job or whatever, you, you're, you're all you, all the guys busting their asses and the women busting their asses, mm -hmm. they all have a bond together. Right. They're all working hard. They're covering each other's shifts. They all think the manager or one probably do is a jerk or whatever, mm -hmm. does some blow in from business school or whatever. They've all got a bond, you know, and they don't care about color. It's too, life's too hard. 
Nobody has enough time to go sit around and, and look at everybody's color. And so, the, so yeah, and then like, the college people come in and or, say, "Oh, color blindness is actually very problematic." So, 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 so then, so then at the same time, not just that, Alice, but they're all on the same lines. Now you've got these people looking at Joy Reid and people on MSNBC and other people in Boston Globe looking at these people, at these white people who are arm in arm with black people, and this is where class comes back into it. And they're saying, huh, why wouldn't they, they obviously can't grasp intellectually why to vote um, for things that I'm for. <laughs> so they must be, they must be worried about the changes in their neighborhood, that more, there's more black people around now. And, and the, what used to be a white Ford dealership is now, uh, there's now a, a Hispanic guy running it. And these people deem on their high horses that those people down there are racists. Mm -hmm. And that brings out something else. That brings out a visceral, what the, what did you just effing call me? You called me something that is the most vile thing you can be called? A racist and a pedophile are pretty much the two <laughs> things. You, me, well, they, because I Racist lost its touch, so they've graduated well, to white supremacists well, right, now. exactly. <laughs> but these are, and so people say that and they say, how effing dare you? If we thought that it was problematic when Hillary called a whole bunch of people deplorables, you can say what you want to about Trump. I don't think he ever yelled at the American people. Mm. He wanted all the, the American people to like him. Oh, yeah. He was no, proud. For sure. My uneducated, where's my black voter? I mean, he was, <laughs> he was loved. The guy was a big tent, though highly un-PC, you know, mm -hmm. to to laud the canniness of Jews in, uh, in negotiations was something only Donald Trump could get away with, you know? And that's but but you know, but he was uh, he was total outreach to people. He Improbable. considered that outreach. Remember when or he yes. ate the taco bowl on Cinco de oh, Mayo? Totally, totally. <laughs> Which also is it? If you want to say something about him, that's pretty brilliant that he did. Do you think that like you think that working class people sit around and say you know that's a racist thing he did? Well, no, so. just like regular Native Americans don't go around of thinking that, like, of course, high I'm glad are... you mentioned it because I wanted to, I wanted to get back to something on that too, but which will, but so I think that's why I, I just think that there's you when you call people, I mean, then you suddenly fire up Merrick Garland to check people out, right? Problematic people, like, what the f are you doing? That very that kind of bullying, being on the receiving end of that bullying from the aristocracy, which is really what the what the uh, what elites are now, and their government—that mm -hmm. is the very spirit that began this country, right? Of saying you get your effing boot boot off my neck, mf'er, or I will get it off my neck. And you're like, Democrats tap into this. What are you looking at your phone for? I was just pulling up the Melrose thing in case okay. we want to go to that. I wasn't yelling. I was just wondering if there's anything good happening. Um, um. So yeah, people look at that and they say, "Get the f out of here." In one other thing, Alice, they say critical race theory is not something taught in schools. It's not something taught. It's not something taught. The, the left has put freaking race through everything. We're going to talk about right. Winchester in a moment. Right. I, did hear, I did hear someone say, or see someone say on Twitter, I guess I didn't literally hear it, um, that like we don't teach critical race theory in schools is the new like why do they keep voting against their own interests sure remember like well, 20 years ago everyone used to say yes, that all the there's time there's something there's also something very let them eat cake about it too but they're so stupid but they think the thing, there's critical race but, but, theory but, but in the some are being cute and some are just are, are too uh, tribal in their politics to ever bother to look what, what people mm -hmm. are talking about but the left has has compelled almost every teacher to speak in critical race theory or woke language because they compelled them to. Right. And they have because the left has decided, academia has decided, and this elected government has decided and told everybody, especially in the last two years, that there is existential racism in everything everywhere including those books including those students who are the different including the cop who's waiting outside including uh our curriculum that we have here mm -hmm. including um you know the way uh, s some students uh, have been brought up compared to other students 
you know, including the the history of education in the country, including the the land that we're on, which was stolen, including the this, including the 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 left has installed that, downloaded it into the minds of every person who's teaching every class everywhere. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't a teacher be talking about it? Because they've been told officially, both in curriculum right. and culturally, that it's everywhere. So you've convinced people that the curtains are on fire and you expect them to not be mentioning, holy Jesus, the curtains are on fire in the back of the room. Right. Of course they are, because they see it everywhere. We don't teach critical race theory. We just teach accurate history. Yes, we're, we're, you don't want us to deny that there's racism through right. every aspect of our lives, do you? Exactly. We have to teach the truth. And the truth is that there's racism everywhere. Yes, That's not a, critical race theory. Yes. Like, that's what it is. Oh my god, the curtains are burning. That's why the smoke. That's why this. That's why everything. Everything. But uh, so you you've made it. So how could they not? Mm-hmm. So I mean, so the left should be happy that we're that, that it's omnipresent. Mm-hmm. They should be thrilled and say, "Look, we've got it everywhere now." Except it's being pushed back against. Yeah, because it turns out some people say, "Wait a minute, I don't think it's true that there's racism everywhere, and that Lincoln and George Washington are problematic." We don't want. Mount Rushmore taken down. We don't think that Thanksgiving should be abolished as a holiday. Yeah, I mean, like, they came for Columbus Day, Mm -hmm. and nobody stood up and said, Columbus Day is great and should stay, right? They this, But this is what they do, is they start with the Confederates, and then all of a sudden they're on to Jefferson and Washington and everybody else. And, you know, then... It's the same with the holidays. They start with Columbus Day. Now Thanksgiving is super problematic and not just in the like, we need to acknowledge that people mistreated people sometimes. But like, here I am looking at my mom groups on Facebook and one mom posts, are there any good resources to reframe the discussion of Thanksgiving with kids? This is my toddler's first conscious Thanksgiving, and I'm uneasy perpetuating the myth of white colonizer Wampanoag collaboration and harmony. I'm uneasy perpetuating a myth that Native Americans and colonists hung out together one time that's really like i mean i'd be happy to show you some books from the colonial time period when people are talking about real settler uh native american relations and i don't think you'd like those either to be perfectly frank first of all what kind of elite attention-seeking craven a-hole (laughs) <laughs> Do you have to be to post that on town? Well, yeah. You Does everybody please have a moment to praise me for my thoughtfulness? Yeah. You don't have to post that in your town Facebook group. You can just Google right. woke Thanksgiving resources. That is the person. This is why a lot of this, I think, is a mental health situation. That person needs help. That person. But can you imagine? I don't want them to think it's about the Wampanoags and the, and the pilgrims. They got along at first, okay? They got along for a, a lot of time. Yeah, they at helped first. them survive, and the colonists were they, thankful that right. they helped them survive. And, and, and right, and and the Wampanoags were thankful that the colonists helped them survive because another tribe was massacring the Wampanoags, mm-hmm. and they needed a little help. So you see how this works, you know? And all you know what happened before that ship hit this country as well, and before Columbus f- floated by. Uh, Indians were enslaving Indians and murdering them and destroying them and killing them and throwing them and pressing them into slavery and oppressing them, etc. Okay? It was not Sometimes a, human sacrifices, this was, all kinds this of This was stuff. not a, a mm-hmm. European invention. This, mm-hmm. But but that is... No, they were at peace and harmony with all living creatures, honey, and they lived in peace. And let's perpetuate the noble savage so, myth that's going to... Th- also be problematic in short order so some of the other moms here uh suggest she visit a little place that used to be called plymouth plantation but is no longer right. called plymouth plantation because that's a mean word so it's called plymouth patuxet and they point out how much it's changed uh in their view for the better and how there's so much more there and somebody put up a picture of this little plaque national day of mourning Since 1970, Native Americans have gathered at noon on Coles Hill in Plymouth to commemorate a national day of mourning in the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday, many Native Americans do not celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims and the European settlers. 
To them, Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of millions of their people, the theft of their lands, and the relentless assault on their culture. Participants in National Day of Mourning honor Native ancestors and the struggles of many Native people to survive today. It is a day of remembrance and spiritual connection, as well as a protest of the racism and oppression which Native Americans continue to experience. So, do you get it yet? You have Columbus Day, which... We're going to celebrate it side by side with Indigenous Peoples Day just to remember, right? Now we have Thanksgiving. We're going to celebrate it side by side with the National Day of Mourning for the huge genocide that Thanksgiving actually represents, you problematic a-holes, right? That's what we're doing. And then pretty soon, the nice moms in your town are going to go to the school board and ask them to take Thanksgiving off the school calendar because it's extremely problematic and they don't think little... Huxtable should have to <laughs> read such a thing, right? Or whatever Huxley is at your friend there yes. in Cambridge, right? They're going to go to your school board and say, Thanksgiving is so problematic. Like, we just, we shouldn't have it on the school calendar. It's all right if we want to have a National Day of Mourning celebration. You know what? Let's de-emphasize Thanksgiving as part of our fall celebrations of thankfulness. We can celebrate to the Mother Earth Goddess of the Native Americans and, you know, sing songs about the harvest, but we need to de-emphasize Thanksgiving. And we're going to, you know, celebrate a diversity of traditions, not Christian traditions of which Thanksgiving and harvest metaphors are a huge part. And if you look through any old fashioned hymnal, you can find all kinds of songs of Thanksgiving that are, you know, that deal with harvest metaphors. They're not going to put those in there, right? They're not going to celebrate that diversity of traditions. It's going to be all Native American stuff. And they're going to do the National Day of Mourning and probably uh, hold a moment of silence for the genocide that your little children in elementary school are complicit in even today by uh, still having a raiders mascot on their school so you know there there you go that's what's gonna end up happening and another mom agrees we i we went to plymouth patuxent a few weeks ago it's so much better than when we were kids the wampanoag homestead is no longer a total afterthought um you know and and all these moms agree basically actually one mom i know had a problem with it and the post eventually got uh taken down uh one person well, well, says but, but that, that mom we know mm -hmm. and she's from where Bulgaria. Right. <laughs> so she's seen socialism in right. action. Um, one mom writes, as a native family, we have reframed Thanksgiving to honor the actual celebration of the harvest. So here we go with the, the actual holiday should be about this has been your you've colonized our harvest celebration, which isn't even true, but whatever. We've reframed it to honor the actual celebration of the harvest, and we just use the day off to do so. It's a good time to be with our family and celebrate what we have. We do redirect conversations about what may be taught in school to what actually happened. When I was younger, we also went to Plymouth for the day of mourning. Somebody else We said, do redirect. I love these words. The words are so wonderfully perfect. We've rethought it. We're redirecting now. You see how ed much educated we are? See, we live in a town with a high property tax where nobody, you know, can move into anymore. But we're redirecting. Mm -hmm. We spend our time in the city council, town council, uh, declaring George Bush a war criminal and <laughs> declaring us a sanctuary city. But, you know, it, it's... But once again, these are the adventures and hobbies of people who live upscale boutique lives. This mm -hmm. is, like we were saying, this is a class issue. It's right. wonderful. It's just the another... The poor is just celebrate you Thanksgiving. You, you're rich enough to live in the nice part of Winchester, Massachusetts, then this is just another accessory you have. Right. Uh, someone else posts, I'm in the same boat with my toddler. And after getting her so psyched for Halloween, I found myself questioning how to explain Thanksgiving. I've decided that for now, I want to focus on it being a time of thanks to show gratitude for our bounties and share with others. I believe there will be a shift in education as she gets older. Because I'm going to show up at your school board meetings and cause a problem. Or this person will probably be on the school board making these decisions. I believe there will be a shift in education as she gets older towards a more honest telling of history. Until I don't then understand how it's not honest. To they sat down and they celebrated that like 11 pilgrims survived the winter. <laughs> and, like, it was a hellish time that you please have no idea about in rich towns that getting rid of your mascots. You have no idea what the adventure was like for those people who had to live through winter. 
you know, in, in survive. While well, the kids died and the babies died and the mommies died. And I'm gonna get them died. all a copy you of the know Shattuck so much. book. You know so much. It's it's interesting. Man, in 2021, you people with iPhones that has all the information and history of the entire world in your hand have never been more a comfortable generation ever than right now. But they know so much about what was really going on in 1620. How much, the, how easy it was for the white oppressors just to steal everything from the Indians and be jerks. These people are vile people. You want? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back to anything happened in the 1930s. But you want to know how somebody can be vile but think they're great and doing something important and in somehow ignore smokestacks? These are the people doing it right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she finishes up. Until then, I'm not going to perpetuate any myths by showing her books or shows that display them. They so, weren't uh, friends. <laughs> I'm not going to perpetuate myths like about colonists and Native Americans getting and, along. This is why, and, and this is another reason why we're so gross in the country, because in in cities and towns now, there's a move on in all these rich towns mm-hmm. to celebrate celebrate Diwali, mm-hmm. which is the festival of lights and major festivals celebrated by Hindus. Which I don't, I'm fine with. If you want to yeah, celebrate? If you want to start adding but, random right, religious sure. holidays it's celebra- to the calendar, go for seems, it. Festival lights seems fun, but <clears throat> but why are people like those mothers into celebrating Diwali? Uh, because <clears throat> it's a traditionally unwhite holiday. Correct. It's a <laughs> holiday that the good guys made, not the bad people, not the pilgrims with their Christianity and oh goodness, not yeah, no, 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 no. The good guys, good. We're celebrating Diwali now. That's fine. You can celebrate Diwali. You know, I we we lived next to an Indian family in in, in our last town who weren't insane. They actually were um, from India, and they were fantastic quality people. Yeah, fantastic quality people. Yeah, they were great. Yeah, don't you miss them? Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the first. My first. They grew corn in their front yard in the right. nice suburb. I loved that. I, I loved know. Now, how, now everybody loved, else is growing corn. I loved how uncomfortable it made it, They're, but usually not like right in the front yard now, where there's supposed to be it, a lawn. Remember my first interaction <laughs> with the with the youth of Melrose House. Mm hmm. Is the bunch of kids the kids were bullying bullying the, the Indian kid? T yeah. Dog got up and now went after him. Mm-hmm. Which I I'm sure believe. he was very grateful to you. No, I think I ruined his life actually. <laughs> The big fat guy yelling, and I swore at all the kids too. Were like, "Oh my god, what's this monster saying?" Um, all right. It, Speaking but, of which, they could use a little tea dog in there because uh, they're having big problems in Melrose with uh, hoodlums egging houses and uh, breaking pumpkins on Halloween and setting is, off firecrackers at people's houses. And the people who complain on Facebook, honey feel that they've subsequently been targeted with more house eggings after. I don't understand how that could be true. <laughs> no, I wouldn't think so. Uh, you know, I don't give kudos to the youth of America very often. But, <laughs> um, by the way, I just want to go back to something. Uh, and I, I was tipped off to this from the guys on the f- Fifth Column podcast uh, today. Um, but remember, we played this wonderful, and this goes right along with what we were saying. Mm-hmm. We played this wonderful sound l- last week. Hello and welcome to Microsoft Ignite. We've got a big day. We, played this we didn't we missed the beginning of it. Remember on Thursday night we played the other stuff that was going okay. around like about the outfits. But I said on the show, like I can't believe they didn't talk about what stolen land they're on. Maybe they did it at the beginning of the conference. And right. Trish sent it to us and was like, look, they did. Hello and welcome to Microsoft Ignite. We've got a big day ahead and lots in store for you. First, we want to acknowledge that the land where the Microsoft campus is situated was traditionally occupied by the Sammamish, the Duwamish, the Snoqualmie, the Suquamish, the Muckleshoot, the Snohomish, the Tulalip, and other Coast Salish peoples since time immemorial. A people that are still here. By the way, I don't care (laughs) what century or civilization time you are from. Muckleshoot is a troll word. It is absolutely made. What do you mean from? Muckleshoot. <laughs> it's like it, in Life of Brian, biggest, thickest. Continuing to. Okay, go ahead. Honor and bring to light their ancient heritage. My name is Allison Wines. I'm a senior program manager in our developer tools division. I'm an Asian and white female with dark brown hair wearing a red sleeveless top. And I'm Seth Juarez. Per- 
So why did she describe herself? It's for the visually impaired. Okay, so, so this, is a, this is a point I have for you, Alice. Okay. How helpful is it to a blind person to let them know you're wearing a red sleeveless top? Well, maybe they're only like partially maybe blind. Maybe they're totally blind. <laughs> Well, but there's a lot of people that are partially blind that may not Okay, be. there's what a lot of people who are totally blind who are left out of this. Okay. I'm wearing a red... I wish I got to know and enjoy what red is. What is red? Well, but maybe, like, later somebody in the conference will, like, call on the lady in the red top and they'll be really confused unless she gave this information. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it helps. Like, if they're totally blind... Like, how does that help you if you've never seen these things? Well, it's just words it's, what stuff. She's, she's lording know. over them all the things that she gets to notice. All the sighted people get to notice. We get to see who's re- who's wearing red tops, who's Asian. Well, no, but like if you look, so, um, you know, the social media thing, Reddit, like, well, mm-hmm. Reddit's super woke. And like, whenever somebody puts up an image, a lot of times somebody will like come by and be like, oh, like, I'm just gonna, you know, let people know what's in this for the visually impaired. There's a picture showing, like, a person in a blue top next to somebody else, and the caption says, blah, blah, blah. Like, they'll, like, write it all down for visually impaired people, so their, like, text-to-speech read or their, you know, text-to-speech reader can, like, tell them what it looks like, what they're looking at, you know? Okay. So they consider themselves to be doing, like, a public service. But I have another question about this. Microsoft is a really big and wealthy company. Mm-hmm. They could go be anywhere. Like if Microsoft feels strongly that they're on stolen land and yeah. she just told us that the muckle shoots and everybody yeah. are still there trying to like do their heritage and their land was stolen from them and the Microsoft campus is on it. Rather than having their convention and talking about it, couldn't they like give back the land? Yes, they can make every single muckle shoot <laughs> filthy rich. <laughs> they absolutely could, yeah, but uh, but apparently it's not going to. They just need to bother us with yes. announcing it to all of us. Yes, we're going to aggravate you for forty five <laughs> seconds each with total jargon, spam, mouth, <laughs> virtue, progressive speak for a while. Um, okay, so this leads me to, uh, and I, are you are you done with the school stuff? I'm fine. Yeah. Okay, so this leads me to. Uh, I listen to another podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And um, on the Femsplainers podcast, mm-hmm. which is a mostly liberal feminist podcast, but it's great, by Danielle Crittenden, she talked to Amy Chua. Do you remember? Uh, Tiger Mom. Tiger Mom. Yale. Uh, there was something with her with Kavanaugh, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Tiger Mom. Uh, Yale. She got in trouble because she worked, uh, Kavanaugh and her both taught law at Yale. Mm-hmm. Kavanaugh, of course, was she's a liberal. He's a big, big conservative. He was with the Federalist Society, which is home based and invented at Yale. But they were they got along great. And Kavanaugh was apparently, according to her, hugely popular. He was hugely popular. Uh, He was a gentleman. Everybody loved his class and loved hanging out with him and this and that. And so she would always say great things about him and say, hey, take it. If you want to take his thing, take his thing. He was constitutional law, so it was a little bit mm-hmm. different than what she was doing. But he was, everybody in the place loved him. He was huge. Mm-hmm. But then came the BS in 2018. And so she wrote a nice essay about him for some paper. And mm-hmm. she was told that she that she was helping a rapist. And Yeah, and then they came after her for something else after yeah. some students reported that she'd made them feel uncomfortable. Or, I forget right. the details of what it was, but it was some hack smear job thing. Well, totally. Because Yale's gone nuts. Mm-hmm. Yale is insane. But anyway, she was on this thing, and this is a progressive member teacher. She's from a little bit of the old school teaching. She's a little bit. Of, uh, she, she's well, that's my... what she got famous for is the battle car, battle hymn of the tiger mother right. thing, where she said, you know, immigrant parents and Asian parents in particular, their kids do better because they make their kids work their butts off. <laughs> like that right. was the but original I wanna, thing. I don't want to dwell on that too much yeah. because that's apart from what she does mm-hmm. um, in school. She loves teaching law. She's she does like international trade law, so it's you know. But she's got this, or she starts to have this relationship with the kids where where these are p- people in their late 20s taking mm-hmm. her class, and and she uh, she flourished in it and loved it. And they would learn together, and they would have these debates, et cetera, et cetera, and they would, uh, they would socialize together, and it was all, like, wonderful. Anyway, mm-hmm. she says that things have just absolutely, in the last couple of years, totally changed. Teaching now is unrecognizable. So I taught for 30, I've taught for 30 years and for about 
I don't know, 23 of them, it was always the same. Um, now it's, it's just, uh, it's a completely different scene. Um, we begin the school year at Yale Law School with, you know, just mental health training instead of like, oh, here's some provocative debates. Let's start with that. It's a lot of training, um, diversity and inclusion training, um, coaching about what you should or shouldn't say. And we all are instructed, like there's certain things that we shouldn't talk about and, you know, how what our syllabus should look like and things that could offend students. And I used to love, even up until five years ago, my favorite thing was, I'm very proud that my classes are well known for being the absolute most genuinely diverse classes. Um, by genuinely diverse, I mean in every sense, like it includes politically diverse. I have a lot of conservative students in there, but because of who I am, I also have like tons of women of color and immigrants, kids and, you know, parent, first generation professional kids, you know, kids whose parents didn't go to high school. And I used to love just having these provocative debates and people would get really all heated, but then afterwards everybody would go for a beer. Never again. I mean, that's, I mean, at least not right now. Now it just, um, you, I, I used to have students who are conservatives become great friends with real liberals. Now, no communication. If you're, it's very tribal. If you're very progressive and you make friends with somebody on the right, then you are, you know, you're a traitor. You're, you're not part of the tribe anymore. You're, you're FedSoc adjacent. So FedSoc is Federal Society's the conservative group. If you are liberal and have a friend from FedSoc, you are FedSoc adjacent and you're, you're, you get like shamed. So it's, it, there's a lot more anger and polarization, but there's also so much more sensitivity. Um, mm -hmm. People, we have a new dean now just for this, that it's like an administrative position, you know, two or three people that anytime a student has a problem, instead of just talking to the other student, like, let's talk this out, you run to this, this dean and you file this complaint and then they're hauled in. And it's, <laughs> I, I think it's extremely dysfunctional. I mean, there are a lot of positive reasons for it too. I do understand. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of changes for the better. There's a lot of inappropriate comments that shouldn't be made or are hopefully not made now or less so. But I think it's been an overcorrection. I mean, it's it's just um, it's, you know, when I, I wouldn't have students over just to, even for parties, people might feel too. I don't hold them anymore because some people might feel too much pressure. You know, is there pressure to drink? Is there pressure to be impressive? Um, so it's, you know, I just do it now. Like, let's just go all for tea, you know? And, um, and I'm much more careful about what I say. So it's a really different time. So we've turned the students into basket cases. Mm -hmm. And these are the best and the brightest, right? These are the Yaleys. Right. But we've, we've, they've got, like, they're shattered. They're rattled in school. I've never seen my students so unhappy as a group. So, so I, I, it does make me wonder whether a lot of these policies and new institutions and new bureaucratic offices that we've installed are, are actually helping because, I mean, maybe it would be even worse if we didn't have all these measures, but I, I just kind of feel like we've taken a wrong direction. I mean, I, I've never seen my students so not just anxious and stressed and unhappy, but also terrified to speak. So I will, you know, I, I ask my students to submit a reaction paper every week and for the first time in 30 years, they'll write all this interesting stuff, but say, can I please not be asked to share this part because I'm afraid of being canceled or, you know, I'll, I'll people, I don't want to cause any waves. Um, so there's a lot of fear and stress now, and people are, are, are worried about being recorded. Am I, is somebody going to take me and put me on the wall? So, so I feel something is off the rails right now. <laughs> So the kids are now afraid of being canceled. So they're afraid to speak up in class. Right. Not only are they afraid of being canceled, Alice, they could be canceled. Yeah. The dean at this law school threatened that student, mm -hmm. told them that, you know, we have to weigh in on your character to, so you can pass the bar. Just so you know, hint, hint. Like, right. I mean, they, they could absolutely, after spending all this money, lose their law career because some dean has a problem with the way that they handled their diversity training i mean like good on that one kid for recording it but it's absolutely like a crazy culture there and like 
the truth is that, um, you know, most people don't agree with this, like, extreme form of this stuff. But because there's, like, this setup now where you can cancel people like this, people get scared. So no one speaks up. And it's like an emperor's new clothes thing. Everybody's afraid to be the person that says something because it seems like everybody else agrees because everybody's just being quiet. So this is something I didn't get to last week, but it's actually connected to this because she's talking about these, like, trainings that they all have to do and stuff. So the same day that this dean was threatening this student at Yale, they also had a diversity training where this woman that he hired, Erica Hart, held a diversity training and um, they gathered feedback afterwards and somebody leaked it to the Washington Free Beacon. Um, but one student quoted in the this internal memo that leaked said, I consider myself very liberal, but this was almost like a conservative parody of what anti-racism hmm. trainings are like. The controversy began when a law journal editor asked Hart why her presentation had addressed pretty privilege and fat phobia, but not anti-Semitism. According to the memo, Hart responded she'd already covered anti-Semitism by discussing anti-blackness because some Jews are black. She raised <laughs> questions about FBI data showing that Jews are the most frequent targets of hate crimes, implying that those the people compiling those statistics had an agenda. She basically said that anti-Semitism is a subset of anti-blackness, the editor told the Free Beacon. She didn't recognize that there could be anti-Semitism against white people. People. The characterization is corroborated by two more students quoted in the memo and a third who spoke on condition of anonymity. So um, the most common score for the training was a one and it was rated negatively by all but 11 out of the 33 people that took it. Um, <clears throat> so the this training, like I said, was like held the same day and clearly the there was like some kind of problem with this. There was also at the uh, training, she told um, them that perfectionism, objectivity, a sense of urgency, and the written word are examples of white supremacy culture. There's no CRT in classes. <laughs> Very normal. So, I mean, like, but how can you have a, I mean, thankfully, I think, like, when you tell law school students that um, perfectionism is uh part of white supremacy culture you're gonna run into some problems because these tend to be like Yale law students tend to be pretty high achievers but you know like I I do think it's interesting that people are starting to speak out about this and there are starting to be some leaks some cracks in the foundation where you know you're getting normal people saying wait a minute this stuff is nuts are you serious with this we sound like a parody you know some of them are raising the alarm a little bit mm -hmm. it's not uh like totally a monolith as they say like there's starting to be some chinks in the armor a little bit of this whole thing right and uh, amy Chu was one of her daughters went to yale law and she regrets it she, she still might be there another mm -hmm. daughter went to is also a lawyer and is a jag officer in the military now um just so you want to know what's happened to her daughters um before we go alice mm -hmm. we've got to address something here Last Thursday, mm -hmm. I said this. So I lived on the poor side of town. Not the poorest part of town, which is right tucked next to Woburn, which was like, they called it the pit, <laughs> which is terrible. Okay. So that is true. They did call it the pit. I mean, mm -hmm. we did. I mean, it was just, that's what it's called. It was kind of literally a, um, it was a valley. Which I guess was probably where Pitt came from, but it was probably a double entendre. It's not the kindest word for a valley. Of, it wasn't yeah, called the Vale of Winchester. Right, right. No, I think there was a bunch of public housing there. So, uh, so yeah, there I am talking about the saying I came from the poor side of town, which the other side. Let me just I'll let me talk. So I lived on the poor side of town, not the poorest part of town, which is right tucked next to Woburn, which was like they called it the Pit, which is terrible. <laughs> But that was next to the Italian part of town, which they called something that cannot be called anymore. And I'm shocked that they called it that. But we have chickens with part of the same name. Um, and we lived in a kind of a newer part of town. It was kind of like Stoneham. So it was like a split level ranches. Oh, you know, nothing. It wasn't. It was a pretty. Near the Jello factory. <clears throat> Near the Jello factory. Exactly. So. So. So anyway. So now, since I said that, a classmate of mine. Mm -hmm. has gotten in touch with me. 
a classmate named Stacy has gotten in touch with me. So Stacy, um, Stacy is um, she was kind of the the I, I didn't really have many friends in high school, but the the group that I was affiliated with, you could say, <laughs> were kind of um, was kind mm-hmm. of Stacy's friends. Okay. Through Pam, Ta- you know, do you know Pam Taylor? Through mm-hmm. Pam, who was just somebody who I knew as well, and Mary, who you know, and, and these these people, no. <laughs> yeah, who, who okay. you met, uh, you know, these. So so those were my in mm-hmm. in Je- I Jenny whatever these. So it was all of us people who smoked really hung out. Right. I don't know if Stacy actually smoked. By the way, she was Stacy in 1973. Every fourth girl was named Stacy. There was mm-hmm. a name that's gone away now, but it's still a nice name. We had a bunch of Stacys in the class. Stacy is was somebody who I would have been around the same kind of extended circle with probably. She was a fantastic person, incredible personality, um, um, extrovert, should, um, kind of, uh, and very interesting. Would be the person who would be speaking up anywhere, saying what's on her mind. Cool. It's the kind of person who you would think my dad would find her very interesting because she has something to say rather than just be like chewing gum and not saying anything and being a wallflower. Mm-hmm. So I re- I respect Stacy, and um and it's you know we we you know forever. So, so she's good people. Anyway, she sent me a message on by email. Good morning. And I uh, by the way, all of you guys can send me messages on Facebook or Twitter. Stacy used Facebook. She said, good morning. Just wanted to let you know, love the podcast, which is great. I am a daily listener who enjoys both you and Alice. It is fantastic. Which is great. Yesterday you made mention (laughs) of the poorest kids in Winchester living in the pit. Um, She says, yes, the term definitely had a negative tone. I do have a, a question and a couple of facts. At this point, I knew I was in You're trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she says, what is your definition of poor? Um, so I think the pit at that point was a lot of public housing. I don't know. Because although I had a house that wasn't in the pit, um, we were we didn't have any money in that house. I had, a, I had my dad lived in Parkview, which was an apartment complex, mm-hmm. which probably had public housing in it as well, which could be a little sketchy itself was not a great mm-hmm. not a great place we saw somebody jump to the death there <gasps> yeah excellent. saw somebody do it oh we heard them we heard them we, they it's not a it's not a great story oh my god so the part of you was that you weren't that was not oh. so i'm not so i uh, so i i i i was my own living in the was not it was kind of like an upscale apartment place because it sort of looks like the building of the future. It, it does look like the building. When you go inside, it that goes away quickly. <laughs> I think it was the building. I think in the sixties when my dad used to mm-hmm. live there as a single guy, it was rocking and rolling. That was the time. okay. It was uh, so anyway. Um, so so and my mother lived in a house on Dean Road, which it she just didn't have any money. She just didn't. She worked. She had a job here and there. She would be beating the crap out of me if she knew I said this now but she has passed on so but um so we had no money me and Jimmy just like we just had it was just a thing it was our life like we had no like real there's hardly anything ever in the fridge we were blown away when we go to friends houses and they would have like deli meat in the fridge (laughs) and like juices and we'd be like oh my you got all the stuff you have so uh, she says what is your definition of poor so I would think that the that um subsidized housing I guess would be I think the pit was considered the poorest section but maybe not. I actually thought Stacy lived next to the dairy barn. I didn't even think she lived in the pit. But anyway, that's fine. Dairy barn is also in a, another section, which was not the richest section. She but says, I mean, I think she makes a good point that Winchester is a very nice town. So the poor section of Winchester yes. is people who've worked really hard to get into the poor section of Winchester. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, no, and so, and I didn't want to make a judgment on the pit or whatever section of Winchester. I feel like I have license coming from not quintessential Winchester, which is, you know, beautiful Victorians, etc. Coming from the other side of town, I thought I had license, but apparently I don't. 
and it's just fine. Check your privilege. I know, I know. I you, don't know. You non-pit person. Don't punch down on the pit coming from your jello factory digs know, up the street. I know, I know. She says, she says uh, what is your definition of poor? I guess in Winchester there weren't really any poor, poor people. I guess, I guess maybe there were. I don't know. I don't know. I know that it, probably a person speaking about how tough it was in Winchester it probably needs to shut up. Probably. <laughs> but I don't think I'd spent too much time doing that. I just mentioned that the that was my part of town as part of, I don't mind, segue into getting to Minahan, who absolutely lives in the rich section. All the other media people from Winchester are in the rich section. Minahan, Ockerbloom, Pete Custon, rich section. <laughs> okay. So, um, so, so... In, in actually, Winchester poor is probably, you know, my, dad didn't get you a car for your birthday. You know, it's, so it's not. It's not her, well, yeah, but, and I think, but I think her broader point, which you haven't quite gotten to, okay, I'll, I'll let it. you get to her thing. Yeah. She says, I do take issue with your reference. My mother, who was a single mom and worked two, sometimes three jobs to support her family and paid in the mid 80s. Uh, in the mid eighties, eight hundred monthly, and by ninety three, ninety four, was paying eleven hundred to live in the pit. Uh, the residents, which is not totally cheap, the residents were mostly hardworking single parent families living in an affluent town to provide their children a safe upbringing with an excellent school system. We made memories and friendships that have lasted a lifetime. Thanks for listening. So, I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That she's got pride about that area and yeah. made memories, etc. Um, and on and all of those things. I don't. I don't have moral judgment on people living in the in the pit. Well, no, but I think I think sort of what she's getting at too is that a lot of times parents like make a choice like that, right? Too and like you and I have kind of joked about it before about being like the not rich kids in a rich town mm-hmm. is like a weird place to be sometimes. But um you know, a lot of parents make their choice to put their kids in that situation because it's better than the alternative, which is, you know, be walking through metal detectors to go to school, right? So right. that's um you know, and so I think her point is uh, well taken that, you know, that when we joke about being like the not rich kids in the rich town, that was also like, a f- we were fortunate to be the not rich kids in the in the rich town too. Oh, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree mm-hmm. with that. And I could get along with Stacy and, uh, you know, Pam and, the, and, and Jenny, who was also a very mm-hmm. good friend of mine. On, on all of us, none of us lived in a, in a rich section. Right. And but it but is these like a, people are, yeah. are all to this day quality people awesome good americans not psychotics um and like have work ethics and this is a town that winchester like where you grew up in lexington had a lot of rich spoiled dickheads in it mm-hmm. so um so it, it, believe me it, it that's one of the reasons i didn't matriculate to college because i didn't want to be with any more dickheads for any more <laughs> amount of time i had had enough um yeah. but but so that was my um that is my explanation of that. Did, mm-hmm. did I satisfy that? Do you think you keep? I'll, I'll defer to you. I mean, yeah, I think it's fair. I don't think you were trying to be negative about the pit necessarily. No. Um, but I mean, I could see how it could be taken that way. A little yeah, bit. absolutely. And you know what, Stacy? She mentions that residents, hardworking single parent families living enough to provide the children. We made memories and friendships that have lasted a lifetime. I think that's great. And as a matter of fact, our own road, you know, I lived on Dean Road, mm-hmm. which only had four houses. There was one mean guy, and then the other three houses were all us kids. And so we were absolutely, though not in the richest section of town, mm-hmm. we were blessed. We had a dead end with our best friends living there. So we were, yeah. I can't imagine a better situation, a dead end where we played wiffle ball and baseball and soccer and football and drank beers and did whatever we want, you know. So we were blessed as well, and it doesn't have to be from the other side of town, which I think the other side of town, the beautiful people's part of town, was probably, no, I don't think they I know, was highly pipe. effed up, you know, and um, they they had nice cars and all the right clothes and the, the like, uncanny um, uh, fashion sense and always had a haircut, the right haircut at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, like, how do you know how to get the right hair at the right time? <laughs> they did. They were incredible. 
So that's what I'm saying. So Stacy, um, I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. Uh, um, I want. I'm, I'm glad I didn't forget this. And uh, she's good people. And thank you for listening. Thank you for everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Yep. We're gonna pop over to Patreon next. I think uh, correct. Yes, that's absolutely correct. So we'll see uh, people who are listening to the Patreon show on the other side. That's um, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Burn Barrel. Uh, that's where you can subscribe to get extra bonus episodes of the show each week and things like that. Um, you can also check us out, as always, for free on Facebook.com slash Burn Barrel, Burn Barrel Podcast dot com. Uh, on Twitter, we're called Burn Barrel Pod. And you can email us, Burn Barrel Podcast at Gmail dot com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi this is Paige from giggly squad and i want to talk to you about splash refresher and my water intake okay so you guys obviously know that i'm a hydrated girly but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like i need something to spice it up that's why i love splash refresher it has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.